Welcome to Working Matters. I'm Claudia Rempel. And I'm Carl Edwards. Join the conversation on the web at boldenterprises.com. Well, Claudia, back for another week with employees whom we are big fans of, but um, for many, we are asking, what are they good for? That's right. We've been talking about changing our lens and how we view the people that work for us who are making up a part of our team. And a lot of that has sort of had to shift sort of our cultural perception of employees as um, expenses mm-hmm. and move towards really seeing the human being behind the job description. Exactly. And what we're trying to confront with this series are the real problems we do have working with people. It's not a dreamland. It's not easy. And so we're, we're looking at these problems not finding good employees, not retaining good employees. And this week's, you know, employees that are not performing, these are realities. It happens. But what we're suggesting is that um, our approach to dealing with these problems will be radically different if we're looking at it through the lens of our employees being human beings who are assets full of potential worth investing in versus that employees being these expenses that we need to minimize and protect the company against anything that they might do. So let's jump in on uh, uh, these issues of performance. Well, it strikes me that, number one, this is an issue probably that never gets addressed. Mm -hmm. So there's someone not performing, and you go out of your way to not talk about it because it's just uncomfortable. Okay, so we've got the, uh, this is too uncomfortable to confront approach which is ends up with a lot of you know, kind of manipulative techniques of kind of hinting and pushing and making rules and boundaries so that they so and so can't be doing maybe something else that you think is a part of their non-performance but not really ever just talking about the standard and the expectation and what it's it's going to take to have them meet it and then it strikes me that the next thing that happens is you blow up. Oh, my. How many of us have supervisors who yell? <laughs> a lot. Now, here we're basically, you know, we're working with adults, right? And so from kind of an intuitive standpoint, we want to say there's really no excuse for yelling. That's like a child having a temper tantrum. And whatever excuses we make up for ourselves to justify our yelling, of, oh, I'm trying to emphasize the importance of the issue. No, that's not what's really going on. What's really going on is that all your efforts to date haven't resulted in change in somebody's performance, and you just got pushed over your edge, your coping edge. You weren't coping well before, but at least you were coping quietly, but then we blow up. Well, how many of us have had luck with that? <laughs> that works once. That works precisely once, and it's so... You know, shocks the employee that just to avoid the yelling, they, they get in line. But I tell you what, you've, immediately you have lost their soul. You have lost their heart. And you may never get it back because you've introduced um, that you are a user of fear to get your way. You're going to get compliance. You're going to get performance by making non-performance more painful. So we're going to the dark side here, Claudia. It's a dark place. It's a dark, dark place. <laughs> oh, and it's not dark because we disagree with it on some moral basis, like we sh- you, sh- you know, be- should be nice to people, though that's a wonderful morality to have. We're saying it doesn't work. It just simply does not work, or it works once. But once you start doing that regularly, then people, one, 
They're going to stop being honest with you. No one will ever tell you when they have a problem again because you're going to get upset and yell at them. So now problems are going to go unreported and unaddressed. Two, they're not going to um, point out things that aren't working to you. I'm going to steal the post-it notes. It's exactly, I'm just going (laughs) to subvert at every opportunity. Because they got to protect themselves from you because you've, you know, turned it into an adversarial thing that they're not performing and you've got to stay on top of them like a, like a parent of an eight-year-old who's got a 15-minute attention span. And once you take that lens, you know, you're always going to have a battle. And we have evidence that, that those battles, how many of those battles have been institutionalized in this country through um, in unions and um, legal frameworks that cost companies a fortune yeah, you know, why do we have HR departments? You know, it's not a good thing. It's to protect us from a bad thing happening more often than not. Legal fees, uh, it doesn't work. It's costing us a fortune that people have to organize to protect themselves from you instead of being partners in a different kind of enterprise, collaborators t- working towards success and new things and making things work better. So we need to we need to look at this. How do we step back from this framework. I think if you've been listening to us for a while, you listener and I kind of know what Carl's going to say. And at the same time, I'm kind of curious to hear you say it is you're going to say, start with yourself. So how do we do that? It is a tough place to start, isn't it? Oh gosh. You know, the funniest thing about starting with yourself and why leaders don't do it is not because we are too proud or too arrogant or too big on ourselves. It's that from our perspective, we really don't see our own role. We really think we're kind of taking this outside look at over what's going on in the firm and the dynamics on the team and the, how the policies and procedures are playing themselves out, either efficiently or inefficiently. And we just fail to include our part in that in our thinking because we think we're doing as best as possible. So the best way is just to be willing to look at yourself and not be scared by it like you're going to be a bad leader or a failure or a loser or something. But just realize that the starting point for how everything fleshes itself out in a, in a company is with the leader. And you can trace almost any problem you have back to yourself one way or another. Well, it does strike me as a logical place to start. And when I was thinking about it, I thought, well, if your employees are doing a good job and they're helping maybe your department and your departments ahead of time, you get the credit as the boss. You're the leader. You made this happen. So why doesn't that happen in reverse? Somebody's not performing their job, your team is perhaps not meeting their quotas or the expectations that have been set out, why isn't that your fault as the boss? Don't you know your people? Don't you know who's working for you? Don't you know their workload? Why aren't they getting their work done? Now, it's not as simple as that, but it struck me that the opposite could be true. Well, the opposite is true, and it's just hard for us to look at because we do kind of have this all-or-nothing competence mentality in our culture where, you know, you're success is always validated by things working out. And when things don't work out, it must spell failure somewhere. And to be able to look at yourself or anything going on and be able to see that it's not working is a form of success. That is not a failure. To do nothing about it might be considered a failure, but that things don't go well is not a failure. It's just reality and leaders address it. What we don't realize is how influential we are. And if a corporation, if a company or a department or a team has got an unhealthy pattern going on, it's just a fact that it can generally be traced back to something that the leader's doing. 
You know, my favorite example is the powerless receptionist secretary who every time someone comes to them with something to do, kind of stiff arms them and is very resistant. Well, you could take that as, okay, how do I deal with this person not doing his or her job? and the horrible attitude that they have. And what we do is we jump right to penalizing them. You know, you need to pull it together. You need to be a team player. You need to receive your work enthusiastically and be a part of making us a success. But that whole thing of jumping right to penalizing them and discipline is is counterproductive. Now, what usually happens in those scenarios is that this person is receiving work from multiple supervisors, And no one is helping them sort out the priorities. So no matter what he or she chooses to do, she's only going to make one person happy and she's going to make everyone else mad. So really what this kind of stiff arm that you're receiving when you bring her work is, is she's protecting herself from getting another um, obligation that's going to make her fail again. And looked through that lens, you could turn the whole thing around by having you know, one person be her point of reference supervisor to help them prioritize and what comes first and to take the hit from the angry um, partners, for example, who aren't getting their work done when they wanted it done. And once that pressure is taken off of that employee, their attitude will change overnight. But you see the difference that's being drawn there? Same situation, but looked through the lens of a performance problem versus look through the lens of how I've organized this and set this up isn't working lens results in two completely different conclusions and a process that works better in the future and one that just keeps cycling downward. I think that's an excellent point that sometimes though the workflow doesn't always meet the value, right? So let's say you want a phone answered all the time, but you have a project to do. Right. And you put that choice on the person and then you blame them for it. But you made that choice. You created a situation where you wanted two jobs to be done by one person. So this is what we mean by starting by looking at yourself first. It's not we're looking for someone to blame and you're to blame and a bad leader, but that you're the prime organizer. You're the point person for how things are structured and how they play out. And if you look at how you've set things up, maybe you've set things up in a way that doesn't work well for an employee. And that's why performance is falling off or attitude is negative. You know, why that an attitude's negative is because the person needed to protect themselves, which is totally understandable. So if you want it to change, you need to look at what you're doing, not what the employee's doing. When you look at what you're doing and how you're approaching it, how your team responds to that will change. And you can never have too much information as the boss, right? So if it's a conversation, if it's what's going on, this isn't getting done, maybe there's something else going on on the production line, on the, you know, whoever's, you know, marketing your product, whoever is, you know, dealing with the client ahead of time. It could be information that you're missing out on that it's always valuable to have. Exactly. So every problem doesn't need to be a disaster. I like that language a lot, that it's it's information. And it's a wonderful thing to have. Now, having said that, non-performance over time, when you got a true non-performer, someone who does not want to be on the team, who does not want to contribute under any circumstances, you know, you and I are the first to say that person's got to go. You got to stop hanging on to people and trying to make things work that aren't going to work. But as a starting point, we don't start with being punitive. We don't start with writing people up. We don't start with 
telling them to get their act together. We start by looking at what's going on with, you know, how we've set things up. And, you know, if we've set things up with a salary structure that's highly competitive, you know, we should not be surprised that the different, you know, managers are not going to collaborate with each other as you set it up to be competitive. Well, can I just, just, just take a moment to say, if you're the type of person who is yelling at your employees, just stop. It's not helping you. It's not going to work for you. If you're abusing your, verbally abusing your employees, you know who you are, you lose your temper, you yell at them, in the end, it's going to come back to you. So you just look at that one thing and don't even think about it. Just trust us. Right. Try an alternative. Exactly. And it may be because you're frustrated. I mean, that's totally understandable. People aren't getting their job done. Maybe they're, you know, talking too much or you know, whatever it is. It may be understandable, but it doesn't work to treat them like an eight-year-old, like you said. Exactly. Well, next week, we are going to move on to why our employees are not progressing, why we're not improving, why, it's, why we get stuck. And again, probably not going to be totally their fault. And we're going to have some great ideas for how our new our lens will um, kickstart your and everyone on your team's careers. We're on the web at boldenterprises.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast is a Bold Enterprises production.